Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Beginner's Mind Show. I believe we've all been through, uh, you know, that magical experience when time moves at a different pace for us. You feel like you're a different person altogether. You know, that superhero, you can conquer the world, do anything. You're more self-assured. You take risks that you ordinarily wouldn't, and uh, you're making things happen. You are in an altered, heightened state of mind. Your self-consciousness and what other people think about you, that sort of melts away. Your inner critic for a change has shut up and you're in the zone, a zone of superior turbocharged human performance called the flow. Well, I'm super excited to host this episode today because we have one of the world's leading experts on the subject of flow and human performance with us. It's none other than Stephen Kotler, who's a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning journalist, and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. He's the author of 10 bestsellers, out of the 14 books that he's written, including The Art of Impossible, The Future is Faster Than You Think, Stealing Fire, The Rise of Superman, Bold and Abundance, of which I have a copy on, in my library as well. His work, ladies and gentlemen, has been nominated for two Pulitzer Prizes, translated with over 50 languages and appeared in top-end publications such as The Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, etc. What you perhaps didn't know about Stephen, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you might have come across some of his videos, whether it's on Mind Valley or TEDx Talk or Big Think, but perhaps what you didn't know about Stephen is that he's also a lifelong environmentalist and animal rights advocate, co-founder of Planet Home and the Forest and Fire Collective. Alongside his wife, uh, author Joy, is also the co-founder of Rancho de Chihuahua, a hospice care and special needs dog sanctuary. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Stephen Kortler. <laughs> Stephen, you're welcome to the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's good to be with you. And look, I'm I'm fascinated um, by the by your research, the the amount of time, and you know the, your the big chunk of your professional life that you've studied, um, and you've also injured yourself, as I gathered from one of your Mind Valley talks, in the process of gathering this vital information about us about superior human performance. And first of all, my sincere thanks for accepting this um, invitation today, and I hope we'll be able to decode for our audience how they can achieve their goals faster and how they can stay in the zone of flow. I'd like to begin uh, by asking you, um, what drew you to this field? Uh, I understand you have a background in journalism. What drew you to studying flow and human peak performance? I came into journalism in the early 1990s and mm -hmm. journalism is this fabulous career where uh, you get paid to exploit your curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I was really curious about twin subjects, uh, neuroscience, um, which in the 90s, behavioral neuroscience, so like how human beings work, was right. first being decoded. Up to then, you know, neuroscience had been where and what kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and now we were starting to figure out some of the whys, and it was super interesting, and I was super fascinated. Simultaneously, uh, I was an action sport athlete, and mm -hmm. I was obsessed with action sports, surfing, skiing, rock climbing, snowboarding, and the like. In the right. early 1990s, action sports are, are sort of like a punk rock subculture. They're not really a mainstream activity, but the X Games are getting going, the Gravity Games. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in these communities, I'm doing these sports, I'm living with these athletes. And mm -hmm. if you know anything about the uh, era, the 1990s, in action sports, it's often talked about as the era of impossible were more impossible feats, never been done before, we never thought they were gonna be done, got done. Mm -hmm. So all records keep getting broken again and again and again and again. And I'm in these communities, I know these people, I'm friends with them. 
it's a wild show to see up close. But what really right. caught my attention is most of the people I was around, they came from tough childhoods, really like broken homes. They had very little money. They didn't have a lot of education. There was a lot of substance abuse and high-risk behavior. And normally, mm -hmm. if you put those things together in a community, people die young or go to jail. What mm -hmm. they don't do is reinvent what's possible for the species. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know, why is this going on? What's happening? It didn't make any sense. Um, everything about the, about the action sport athletes defied everything that sort of like we thought we knew about peak performance and how to really get to the top. Mm -hmm. So that was where it all started for me. And of course, the secret uh, that what was in common with all the athletes was the state of consciousness you talked about as right. flow. Mm -hmm. So that was where it started for me. Well, that's great. You know, in, in, I think in your TEDx talk, you men mentioned about that action and adventure sport athletes have learned to hack the flow state better than any one of us. Um, and if, if you could just help uh, maybe uh, decode uh, why is that this group is the most likely to experience flow and what can we you know people, folks who are probably or those tuning in who are probably sitting in front of a screen all day long or struggling with the challenges of hybrid work or work from home or this new work dynamic uh, what can we learn from that and how can we maybe introduce some of those catalysts into our life so let me just pick up the story from mm -hmm. Where I, where, where I left it off a second ago before I answer your question, because I think it'll be useful for your listeners, which is sure. once I had sort of identified flow as the commonality in all these action sport athletes, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, I broke a lot of bones along the road. <laughs> if you're not an action sport athlete, right, you chase professional athletes around mountains and across oceans. Right. And so after like seven or eight years of it, I knew I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to take this question of what does it take to achieve the impossible out right. of action sports and into other domains. And that's what I did with the rest of my career. So I went into business and looked at, you know, super amazing entrepreneurs who had built world changing businesses in record time. I went into science and mm -hmm. uh, technology. And I spent 20 years reporting on those individuals who turned science fiction ideas into mm -hmm. science fact technologies, right? Mm -hmm. So the birth of bionics, the birth of AI, the birth of private space flight, I see. all those mm -hmm. things were uh, things I covered. Did this in every domain imaginable art, culture, across the mm -hmm. board and wherever you see the impossible become possible, whenever you see peak human performance, mm -hmm. you are seeing a state of consciousness known as flow. So mm -hmm. big picture, yep. evolution shaped all human beings for peak performance. Flow mm -hmm. is the tool that we've been given. It's not even just all humans, all social mammals can mm -hmm. get into flow. So you can get into flow with your dogs or with horses or horses, yep. right? And there's arguments about how deep down the mammal chain it goes, but we won't go there now. Mm -hmm. um, but the point is, it's ubiquitous. It shows up in anyone, anywhere, provided certain initial conditions mm -hmm. on that. So mm -hmm. how can anybody listening get into flow, that sort of stuff, and what happened in action sports? Let me back in, let me start with how anybody can get into flow, and then I'll explain what happened in action sports, sure. if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's, uh, we'll, we'll so when, first of all, it's useful to know, you listed them, but when psychologists define flow, it's a very precise thing. Mm -hmm. We, right, we're looking at a state of consciousness that produces six conditions, okay. right? Six ways it makes us feel. First, complete concentration on the task at hand, right? You're totally focused on mm -hmm. what you're doing. Um, this merger of action and awareness. So, so the division between who you are and what you're doing starts to fade away. Mm -hmm. um, 
there is, as you pointed out, the vanishing of self and self-consciousness. There's time passes strangely, right? Mm -hmm. Speeds mm -hmm. up or it slows down. There's also, so flow is a state of peak performance, but on the inside, we don't experience that. We feel a sense of control. Oh my God, I can do things I can't normally do. Right? Right. This could be me as an author. Uh, suddenly mm -hmm. I'm writing sentences that I don't like normally write at 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. on a Tuesday, <laughs> right? Or mm -hmm. basketball players talk about suddenly seeing the hoop as mm -hmm. big as a hula hoop and mm -hmm. not being able to miss, right? Those mm -hmm. sorts of things. That's the sense of control. And mm -hmm. finally, Psychologists talk about the experience as autotelic. It's a big mm -hmm. fancy word that means an end in itself. And what it means is flow is joyous, euphoric. It's the best we get to feel on the planet. It underpins happiness and well-being yep. and overall life satisfaction and so forth. And autotelic is a really fancy way of saying it's addictive. Mm. Once this experience <laughs> starts producing flow, right, we want more, we want more. And, we, it, and right. so there's this really heightened kind of automatic motivation both yep. like drawing us to the experience and in the experience, even though, you know, I'm a, I'm a big skier, so I'll go skiing and it'll take all my energy, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mm -hmm. feel like that. It feels like effortless effort, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how psychologists define flow. Mm -hmm. Neurobiologists, mm -hmm. the work I do, we've got a whole other list of this is the changes in the brain, these are the changes in the body, we're not gonna go there. But what we have learned out of the neurobiology is if you're interested in producing flow, that is producing those six conditions, there are 22 flow triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. So the first thing you need to know, I mentioned the first condition of flow is all of our attention is focused in the here and now. Flow follows focus. It can't happen if all of our attention isn't in the here and now. That's what flow's triggers do. Mm -hmm. They drive our attention into the present moment. Neurobiologically, mm -hmm. they do it a number of different ways but that's not hugely important. What's mm -hmm. important is that the flow triggers drive our attention to the present moment. And right. a lot of these triggers are very present in action sports. So mm -hmm. a lot of these triggers work by driving a neurochemical that you probably heard of dopamine into mm -hmm. our system, mm -hmm. right? Dopamine shows up whenever we encounter novelty, right? So this could be action sport athletes, going into the mountains to perform, right? Very novel environment, mm -hmm. heightens the amount of dopamine in your system. Right. Because um, dopamine underpins seeking and exploratory behavior. But I'll give you an example from my life, how mm -hmm. I use the same tool. I, as you can tell from behind me, have to read a lot of neuroscience textbooks to do my job. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, they're the most thrilling and exciting books ever written, <laughs> and I just can't put them down. <laughs> so. Right, and because of that reason, I want every advantage possible when I have to read them. I often take them across town just to novel coffee shops mm. or just sort of novel outdoor environments. Or I'm also known for this, when I have to read, like when I get behind and there's like four or five things, mm -hmm. I will go, I'll take a trip mm. just for like two days. Usually I'll go skiing, check into mm. a hotel room with a balcony that looks out onto the mountains. I'll mm -hmm. ski in the morning and I'll read textbooks all afternoon looking out on this novel site because it's producing more dopamine and it's sure. priming me for flow. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we also get risk baked mm -hmm. in to the action sports environment, but uh -huh. I, it doesn't just have to be physical risk, emotional risk, psychological risk, intellectual risk. Right. Um, 
you know, the sh and it's and it's very individual. The action sport athletes I was talking about, maybe they got to surf a fifty foot wave, but the you know the shy gentleman simply has to cross the bar to say hello to the woman, yeah. and you know suddenly boom, right? Boop, 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 Same boop, problem. Boop. Heartbeat, heart pumping faster. Yeah. Heartbeat, right. <laughs> yeah. So complexity, unpredictability, right. these also mm -hmm. drive right. Mm -hmm. The most important flow trigger is often talked about as the challenge skills balance. So flow okay. follows focus. We pay the most attention to the task at hand. When right. the challenge of that task slightly exceeds our skill set. So uh -huh. you want to stretch, but not snap, right? right. And um, what's interesting about this and where this gets tricky is, so for people who are shyer, meeker, quieter, a little more timid, less, uh, more risk averse, mm -hmm. this sweet spot is right outside your comfort zone. So you uh -huh. gotta get comfortable with being uncomfortable because mm -hmm. you're pushing on your skills you're using skills to the utmost for a lot of entrepreneurs type a hard charging wall street types the problem mm -hmm. with the sweet spot is it's too small yeah hard charging types take on huge challenges just for the mm -hmm. thrill of it mm -hmm. and what i'm not saying i so we know um from motivation science a high hard goal properly set will increase motivation about 25 percent, mm -hmm. 10 to 25 percent. so it's a huge uh, boost yep. you want to set these high hard goals mm -hmm. you just want to chunk them down so the thing that's directly in front of you what you're doing right here right now it's just a little outside your comfort zone right. and this is hard for hard chargers to do but you end up going farther faster you don't tend to plateau um and you tend to drop into flow consistently and reliably over time so Final one more trigger I'm going to talk mm -hmm. about. Please. Pattern recognition. When we link ideas together in a new mm -hmm. way, this is at the heart of all creativity, but yeah, well, it releases dopamine, right? right. Okay. Yeah. So anybody, we all know this. Like if you've done a crossword puzzle, there's Sudoku or any of those word games, mm -hmm. when you get an answer right, you get that little rush of pleasure, right? Absolutely. That's dopamine. Yep. Okay. It's driving focus. One of the uh -huh. cool things about dopamine is it doesn't just enhance pattern or it doesn't just cut into our system because of pattern recognition, it amplifies pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. So you, if you've done a crossword puzzle, you don't usually get one answer right and then get stuck. You get mm -hmm. an answer and then a couple more, right. and then you get stuck. That's because mm -hmm. there's a dopamine window where it's in your system for like 30 seconds after that right answer, and you notice more patterns. It heightens pattern recognition. This is why creative ideas tend to spiral. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that I've said all that, what did the mm -hmm. action sport athletes do in the 90s that made the biggest difference? Mm -hmm creativity was mm. the change more than anything else so up until the 90s action sports are like other sports in skiing for example fastest man or woman to the bottom wins mm -hmm. action sports come along and suddenly it's a self-expression creative right. interpretation of terrain features uh -huh. and it doesn't just become a way contests are judged it becomes the core value of action sport athletes across mm -hmm. the boards that and um you get this massive uptick in creativity on top of all the other flow triggers that are packed into their environments. Mm -hmm. That's really what happened. Now, it's yeah. also important to point out, let's switch to a business context now. Mm -hmm. The best innovation accelerator that anybody has ever designed is the Skunk Works, right? This mm -hmm. is an idea that comes out of Lockheed Martin, the defense, U.S. Defense mm -hmm. Department in the, in the 1940s, and then it spreads everywhere, Walmart, Apple, uh, Tata in India. I mean, everywhere mm -hmm. you possibly go, when they want to innovate, they build a skunk works. And if you go back to the original rules for how do you build a skunk works, there it's basically 
a you're you're moving your innovation group to the edge of the company and you're mm -hmm. building a high flow environment in an environment packed with flow triggers right when it's so my point is whenever you see a culture of innovation it could uh -huh. be the action sport athletes in the 90s could be silicon valley today right could be japan in the 90s mm -hmm. uh, when uh doesn't it could be paris in the 20s right when there's the creative flowering revolution it doesn't yep. matter whenever you see this huge outpouring of innovation from mm -hmm. companies from cultures it's because they have started to prioritize mm -hmm. flow triggers wow. um that's what's going on anywhere anywhere you see it mm -hmm. that's why whenever you see the impossible become possible yeah. flow is there and let me just one more i know i've been talking for uh -huh. a while so let me no, just no, add sure, one please. final piece to it uh -huh. which i just think is usually helpful i said flow is peak performance and everybody is hardwired for peak performance right and evolution shaped all of us to perform in our best in flow evolution has one major driver scarcity mm -hmm. of resources that's what drives evolution and mm -hmm. we've known that for a while yep. there are only two things you can do when resources are scarce you can fight over the dwindling resources uh -huh. or you can come together you can cooperate get innovative get creative and make new resources those are right. your two options right mm -hmm. flow underpins everything we need to fight it also underpins everything we need to get creative get innovative get cooperative and make new resources that's sort mm -hmm. of what we mean from an evolutionary standpoint by peak performance and that underpinning of innovation is why you see all cultures of innovation underpinned by flow i love that what you said about you know the the r d departments being on the fringe you know being a separate entity perhaps given with all that freedom to um to innovate to to make big bold moves and to to fail if they have to quite like um, google has this moonshots program you know the different culture of how they operate think big think 10x you know, and they're not hindered by this bureaucratic cultures of everyday decision making. They're operating with a different paradigm. And I, it was as you were mentioning, having that aha moment of, you know, where everything is coming together and you have a certain insight. Um, that's like me with my door shut when I'm trying to pre prepare for a customized keynote and I've been struggling with putting two things together and I suddenly it blends in perfectly and I'll be like jumping up and down in my room say, whoa, woohoo, man, you know, that's me in the flow state um, at times there, Stephen. But, um, so let me, let me pause uh -huh. and talk about that for a second because you just actually said some really smart stuff. So let me unpack that. Thank there's you. two things inside there that are really good. Mm -hmm. One, the most obvious flow trigger is complete concentration, mm -hmm. right? And what does that mean? Well, one of the things it means is what you just said. You shut your door, right? Mm -hmm. You wall yourself off. That's what the innovation team does. Mm -hmm. But complete concentration means you practice distraction management, right? Mm -hmm. You cultivate the proper environment. So if you want to deploy this flow trigger, I always say when I work with companies and at the Flow Research Collective, we train people. Uh, individuals and organizations in 130 countries. We work wow. all over India all the wow. time, um, wow. but we're working we're in 130 countries and we train everybody. Mm -hmm. Fortune 500 companies, so we work with Audi and Accenture and Facebook. I, uh, my previous company did some work with, we ran a big learning experiment with Google actually, mm -hmm. and I looked at uh, Larry Page was at mm -hmm. the center of one. I said I looked at business and flow, Larry Page was at the center of one of, uh, one of those inquiries. Mm -hmm. um, uh, right, you read bold, you know, or my book bold. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyways, uh, I don't know how we got here. Um, 
Um, oh, what you did, right. What you, so door what closed. I always say, it doesn't matter all these businesses, the uh -huh. first thing I say, and pardon my language, um, is that when I walk into these companies, I'm like, look, if you can't hang a sign in your office door, this is fuck off, I'm flowing, you can't do this work. Mm -hmm. And I use that language because companies, right, the average American worker is interrupted once every 11 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's insane. What mm -hmm. do we know for flow? The brain likes to focus from 90 to 120 minute blocks. Mm -hmm. we, are, we actually have a built-in slot in the brain to focus right. that long. We, everybody knows we have a, a REM cycle, a sleep cycle that's about 90 to 110 minutes long. Mm -hmm. We also have a focus awaking cycle. So what we tell people to do is if you can, start your work session with a 90 minute block for uninterrupted concentration uh -huh. where you wall yourself off from the rest of the world. You practice distraction management, turn off the cell phone, turn off email, turn off messages, turn off notifications, all of it. You, mm. That's the first thing we do when we work with organizations is say you have to really do this. And that also means you have to have your conversations ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Flow massively amplifies motivation and productivity. And when I say massively, McKinsey, the business consultancy, mm -hmm. wanted wanted to know how big a spike in productivity you get in flow. Mm -hmm. They spent 10 years, they went around the globe, they talked to top executives, they talked to leaders of companies. Um, it's a self-reported study, so you always have to take it with a grain of salt. But mm -hmm. on average, they found that people in flow reported being 500% more productive. Wow, that's huge. That's, that's huge. That's huge. It's insane. Richard Branson once said to me, in two hours in flow, there is nothing I can't accomplish. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you quantify that. Like, what? <laughs> how do you put a number on that, right? We once tried to run this experiment uh, at the Flow Research Collective, and we got silly answers. You know, 73,000 times more productive. Uh -huh. Okay, what the hell do I do with that, right? But that, it, it, it just speaks to it. And so the point I'm trying to make here is mm -hmm. have your conversations ahead of time. Talk to your boss. Talk yep. to your spouse. Talk to your children. Talk to your right. friends. Talk to your coworkers. The point is, hey, I'm doing this to become significantly more productive, possibly 500% more productive. You're going to get more of my time later if you let me do this now. Mm -hmm. I will mm -hmm. get more done. Right. Um, and there's a motto that we, we, we always say in flow, uh, in human peak performance in general, oftentimes you have to go slow to go fast. This is one of those examples. Mm. Powerful. That is powerful um, stuff. And I think it's going to put a question mark on a lot of work practices. And we'll we'll take a deep oh, dive in. Kid, oh, open office plans are <laughs> Absolutely. killed. I was going right? to go there. And, yeah. and off, first of all. And second of all, um, for folks working from home, right, mm -hmm. over the past couple of years and where we yeah. are now, um, most people have a children first mentality, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So Family they will first. wall themselves up, right? I, in, in my house, it's dogs first. Right. But one way or another, something takes priority over anything. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. Yes and no. You right. gotta, it's whatever you love is gonna get more of you later. Um, this way. And the other thing that is really important, critically important, flow underpins happiness, well-being, overall mm -hmm. life satisfaction this is one of the clearest findings in, in psychology. Right. Right. There are three tiers of happiness available to all humans. There's mm -hmm. happiness, what we call like right here, right now. And mm -hmm. that's mostly nature and nurture, early childhood experience and genetics. You can use tools like a gratitude practice or mindfulness to get about 10% happier, but that's as far up as you're going to go. If you want a big jump, the next level up is called enjoyment. This is a high flow lifestyle where the thing that is producing flow is in service of your goals. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're chasing your goals and you're getting a lot of flow along the way, meaning I get a lot of flow from writing my books mm-hmm. and those align with my goals, right? Mm-hmm. So that's enjoyment. That's the second best you get to feel on the planet. The best you get to feel is purpose. It's when your high mm-hmm. flow activity right. is tied to other people, something greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And it could be, you could be helping other people. You could be helping plants, animals, ecosystems, whatever right. it is. Right. Um, that's the best we get to feel on the planet. And the point uh-huh. I'm making here is... For those of us who, you know, okay, I'll wall myself off from everybody but my kids. They, if you, I always want to point this out to people. If you are not a person who has happiness, has well-being, has overall life satisfaction, you are teaching the wrong lessons to your children. Absolutely. And the only way to teach the right lessons, right? Kids watch actions. They don't, right? It's not the words mm-hmm. coming out of your mouth. It's mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. And... um living a high flow lifestyle allows you to do this i want to add one more thing Mm -hmm. um because you said how can people get more flow and um this is the we teach all the flow triggers but we also start very simply and this is uh this is going to be uh this is sort of one of the more surprising things i have to say Mm -hmm. and um one of the more important and before i uh, back in let me uh let me just walk you through some very interesting recent research that was done please so during covid um there is, as you know, a global issue with languishing, right? Mm-hmm. And languishing became the diagnostic term. And what mm-hmm. they wanted, and languishing is everything from like lethargy and apathy and depression mm-hmm. to like the inability to work and a lack of motivation, all that stuff. Fits mm-hmm. And there's health consequences, mental health and physical health consequences and so forth. And so a bunch of different teams, three teams in China and one team in the States, all asked the question, who didn't languish during COVID? Who thrived? Mm-hmm. Who kicked ass? Mm-hmm. And they looked at every possible variable you could imagine. The people who got the most hugs during COVID, the people who were the most optimistic, the people who made the most money, whatever. The only factor that mattered was how much flow you got mm-hmm. during COVID. There was this mm-hmm. single determinant of are you languishing now or are you thriving on the on the sort of the back end or phase three or wherever we are with this particular right. pandemic. Right. Um, I mentioned that, and now I want to say the number one thing you can do is everybody has what we term, um, and this isn't an official scientific term, so let me say this, this is a a Flow Research Collective, Stephen Kotler invention, um, Mm -hmm. but I call it your primary flow activity. This is whatever you've done most of your life that drops you into flow. For me, it's skiing, and what I mean by that is when I go skiing, 80 to 90% of the time, I'm going to end up in a flow state. Um, unless there's sort of like a physical reason it's really cold and I'm using too much energy to stay warm, that sort of stuff, um, I'm probably going to drop into flow. That's my primary flow activity. It's, it's, it's perfectly suited for me. Everybody's got a primary flow activity. It, mm-hmm. For my wife, it's hiking our dogs through the backcountry. For a good friend of mine, it's um, uh, gardening. For my mom, it's definitely hanging out and playing with her grandkids mm-hmm. and so forth. For some people, it's coding. For some people, it's reading. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What happens as we move into adulthood, we get jobs, we get families, we have adult responsibility. And what do we do? We put down childish things. And right. often, that means our primary flow activity goes away. And it's a disaster. And mm-hmm. here's why. Mm-hmm. A couple things you need to know about, the, about flow. One, flow is not it's a state of consciousness, but it's a focusing skill. It's a particular way of training the brain to focus, much like mindfulness, meditation, is a way of training the brain to focus. And there are different kinds of meditation. 
focused mm-hmm. meditation. You're focusing on your breath versus open senses with pasta meditation, right? So there's mm-hmm. flow is a kind of focus similar to that. And like all other focus practices, the more flow you get, the more flow you get. So if I go skiing on Monday, I'm training my brain to focus in that way. So I'm likely to get more into flow at work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second thing, as we move into flow, stress hormones are flushed mm. from our system. Right. So it resets the nervous system that has Indeed. a huge benefit mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. And then these five really potent neurochemicals, feel-good neurochemicals that underpin flow get pushed into our system. These feel great, phenomenal, but they also amplify learning and memory and uh, do th- boost the immune system and Indeed. so forth. So. Um, there's really big physiological consequences and calming down, resetting the nervous system right. flow because of that challenge skills balance, right? If there's mm-hmm. too much anxiety in your system, it blocks flow. Oh, also, the heightened uh, creativity that shows mm-hmm. up in flow. So flow heightens creativity and innovation 400 to 700%, depending on whose studies you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So uh, a researcher at Harvard figured out that that heightened creativity will outlast the flow state by a day, maybe two. So all these benefits come to you from your primary flow activity. Mm -hmm. Um, So what the research seems to show is if you can spend three to four hours a week, so that's 20 minutes a day, that's two two hour sessions or one afternoon a weekend in your primary flow activity, that's enough to really reboot this effect. So interestingly, if you want to start somewhere, if you want more flow in your life and you want to start really simply, Start by rebooting your primary flow activity. Start uh-huh. by starting your work session with you know a block for uninterrupted concentration. It, right. uh, ideally, it's ninety minutes, but simply start by starting. If uh-huh. you can, if you can get twenty minutes today, great. That's a win. Mm-hmm. You'll start to see productivity rising, so you can lengthen it over time. And finally, when you're inside mm-hmm. that ninety-minute block, how do you mm-hmm. attack? The, whatever it is that you're doing, I would mm. tell people to use that 90-minute block for their most important task, the hardest mm-hmm. task of the day, the mm-hmm. one that needs the most energy, the one that's going to benefit the most from flow, mm-hmm. and attack it so you're pushing slightly outside that challenge skills sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So let me give you uh, a couple of like really simple examples of what that looks like at work, sure. by the way. Mm-hmm. So individual example, I write books. Mm. Writing 350 words for me in a book is easy. Mm-hmm. 400 to 500 words is where it starts to get difficult because at about 350, you've got to transition between ideas. Right. And for writers, that's the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. So when I start a book, I want to write 500 words a day. Mm-hmm. In the middle of a book, I know more of what I'm doing and more of where I'm going. It's 750 words a day, just outside my comfort zone. Not going to totally freak me out, right, but it's right. still three to four hours of hard work. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the book where I really know what I'm doing, it's like a thousand words mm-hmm. a day or so. So that's a individual example of what this looks like at work. Now, let me give you a corporate example. Sure. So Toyota is a, mm-hmm. is a company that, uh, I, I don't know what you know about Toyota's history, but in the 80s, they were just another car company. Honda was the dominant car company coming out of Japan. Toyota was mm-hmm. okay, but it was really like known for making sort of cheap cars that, you know, um, and that was it. Mm-hmm. They switched their management philosophy to Kaizen. Kaizen mm-hmm. is a flow-based philosophy. Mm-hmm. It prioritizes two main flow triggers. One is autonomy. So mm-hmm. you talked a little bit uh, about 
the importance of autonomy with skunk works, right? Mm -hmm. Turns out autonomy and attention in the brain are coupled systems. So if you're not driving the bus, you do not care as much where the bus is going. It's mm -hmm. just how we're wired. So Kaizen says, hey, you work for Toyota. Your job isn't just to do your job. It's also to make the company as a whole better. So maybe you work on the line. You, you put hubcaps on tires. Mm -hmm. Cool. And that's a rote, boring, repetitive job, blue collar job. Nobody loves mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But suddenly with Kaizen, your job isn't just to put hubcaps on tires. It's to improve the entire hubcap on tire process. In fact, mm -hmm. you can improve the entire line. In fact, if you have a marketing idea, you could improve marketing. Mm -hmm. And suddenly mm -hmm. people have more autonomy and they're in the challenge skills sweet spot. Mm. Right. It's just two triggers, but it's suddenly I'm more engaged. I care. I can use my brain. I can be creative. I, matter. I can do I matter. All this stuff. I matter. And mm -hmm. then, of course, as as Kaizen matures to Kaizen today, mm -hmm. it's an agile process. Mm -hmm. And agile, all agile processes, which also underpin Skunk Works, um, tap into a whole bunch of other flow triggers. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, uh, that uh, that's really Matt Kaizen's a really great example on the modern version of Kaizen which has like six or seven different flow triggers under it um, is uh, it's really phenomenal it's a great example mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a lot lot of valuable wisdom there thank you so much and I think maybe a good opportunity for to also invite our audience to share in the comments section of what their experiences with flow or the interruption of flow might have been in the past so they can decode and I will also request all the all the viewers and listeners across the world wherever you are to uh, listen to this episode a couple of time, be, um, times because I'm sure there's a lot of takeaways here you need to unpack them and then uh, correlate them with your own life and as Stephen was talking about the the you know the the sign outside the door and I have something similar you know um, at, at times because I know even if it's a WhatsApp notification, even if it's a harmless little ping, you know, on the phone, part of my brain certainly wants to know what's going on, you know, perhaps there's an emergency, I'm or foremost kicking in or something, and suddenly my brain resources are being redirected. Versus when I'm on a domestic flight and there's no internet connectivity, etc., and uh, <clears throat> I don't have the option of Wi-Fi, for example, if I'm in that space and I have pen and pencil, good old prehistoric human productivity tools, I come up with so many valuable ideas. And I also loved what you said about, you know, taking time for collaboration. Um, when we when we talked about putting a lot of the current work practices into question, the need for people to physically get together just because that has been the definition of work, right? We need to question that because um, you might just assign a separate day called the collaboration day. I mean, we have those at our workplace. We call it the collaboration day. Bunch of us would gather at a Starbucks and just take our laptops along and sit across. And, you know, caffeine fuels it. And I'd welcome your views on that. You know, whether it's water or caffeine, um, do they play any role in um, heightening the sense of flow? Do products have an impact on the brain? Um, but then... We, we get so much more, Stephen, on that particular day, just sitting in, in, in a cafe. And because we know with, in, with, in, with an intention, we are sitting to collaborate. Uh, so a lot of those things, you've called them into question. And I think you were about so, to make a point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, like three or four, because every time you open your mouth and say something, it's just like <laughs> packed with flow wisdom. And oh, I just well. want to be like, no, no, look, check this out. Check this out. Right, so, please. A couple things that are worth pointing out. Mm -hmm. um, I said flow states have triggers. Mm. There's 22 in total. Right. We've been talking about individual triggers for flow. 
So there is a collective shared version of flow, uh, sometimes called group flow, team flow, interpersonal flow. Mm -hmm. um, there are 10 to 15, there are a bunch of new triggers that are slowly being discovered for group flow, uh, triggers for group flow. And um, you were talking about sort of a handful of them without realizing it. And one of the things that is really important, so it, for flow, you need clear goals. Mm. Clear goals are really important. They're a flow trigger. They tend to lower cognitive load, which uh -huh. is all the crap we're thinking about. This sort of liberates more energy in the brain right. and allows us to pay more attention to the present. So you said a couple things. Mm -hmm. One, you were talking about writing with a pencil, good old pencil and paper. And I always mm -hmm. tell people when you're writing out a clear goal list, if you want to apply this flow trigger, mm -hmm. write by hand. Mm. There's an actual link between how the brain works. We've just been writing by hand for a long time. Mm. Of course, right? It's yeah. evolutionary. It's, it's hardwired mm -hmm. in, and it mm -hmm. helps with memory mm -hmm. um, and learning. So there's an advantage there. That's not really what I was talking about, but mm. there's an advantage the there. The Gen Zs um, are probably not, it's not going to go well with the Gen Zs because they like to maybe, oh, I'll just take a photo of it and go, <laughs> go back to it later, and it works well for me. And I'd say, no, I want you to sit down and write it down. You know, I'd insist with Yeah, I know you really want to write, you want to write out a clear goal. So, so I always tell people the ideal flow practice is end your workday by writing a clear goals list for the, mm -hmm. the morning. Start with your hardest task, right? That's mm -hmm. your 90-minute block for flow. And then everything that goes on the list, just figure out, run a test for two weeks. How many things can you be excellent at in, in a day? Anything that goes on the list is something that takes energy. So if mm -hmm. you're going to go work out, if you're going to have a difficult conversation with your boss or your wife or your kids, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to take energy. That should go on the list because there's only so much energy in the day and it declines over time. And you mm -hmm. only want a to-do list that reflects how many things you can be great at if possible. Sure. Mm -hmm. So figure that out in advance and you've got to run that experiment. So that's clear goals on an individual side. And what's important there is flow follows focus. So when goals mm -hmm. are clear, we know what we're doing. We know where to put our attention and then our attention doesn't have to wander. And, mm -hmm. and that's what you said about the group, right? right? So there's a group trigger here, which is shared clear goals. Mm. So everybody has the same clear goals. And it, there's three tiers of it. So there's like mission level goal. This could be the company level goal, mm -hmm. right? Then there's tiers of how does the company goal align with individual goals? And then how does that align with the actual task you're doing? So right. there's really interesting segregation. But the point really is everybody's got to be driving in the same direction. Mm -hmm. to really, really trigger group flow. Um, right. Um, that, that's a great point. And I think I'll just like to circle back to another wonderful point that you made about emotional well-being earlier on, is that if you're getting interrupted frequently and if you're not getting into the flow state, uh, you're going to be irritated a lot. You know, you're going to be agitated and probably in a negative frame of mind because you're not getting that therapeutic, that healing effect that Stephen's been talking about, the release of all those chemicals, all those experiences inside you. I I'll just share with you, Stephen, one particular personal example. Uh, ever since we've been doing this virtual presentations from office and I'm not traveling to a location, I do that now, uh, now that travel's opened up, but a lot of stuff still happens here in the studio. And there's been days when We've really been sweating about maybe whether it's an internet connectivity issue or something in the studio, something not working well, whether it's eye contact or, you know, cameras not working properly, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that stress, the entire day's stress will suddenly vanish if I have a great conversation like the one we're having today or if I make a great presentation, you know, virtual presentation, and I'll suddenly be a different person than from what I, I in, you know, from uh, as compared to how I started, I'll be more calm, more relaxed. Um, I overlook a lot of things, 
and uh, I'll be breathing in deeply, all because I had that opportunity to do what I enjoy doing the best. And you've mentioned a lot of those specifics as well, you know, for greater good, the clarity, the purpose, so on and so forth, uh, no interruptions, clear focus. And I, I feel uh, I walk back home a much happier man. So vis-a-vis, -vis, when I make that comparison, if those eight hours before that uh, talk or before that presentation, a lot of stress, a lot of uh, running around, uh, but post that is, wow, you know, this went well. I feel good. I can even go to the gym now and have a one-hour workout because there's a rush of those, those emotions. So those were some very important points that you made earlier. I just wanted to reiterate some of them. Yeah, you know, what I was thinking when you were talking is, uh, so the Godfather of Flow Psychology is a, is a Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, mm -hmm. and he, uh, in some of his early work, not particularly well-known, but but really interesting to the point you were just making, he uh, was looking at juvenile delinquency. So oh. he was looking at uh, kids, vandal vandalism, fighting, mm -hmm. graffiti, really. And what he, he discovered alongside another researcher named Kevin Rathunde um, was that most of the reasons why the kids were turning to like low-grade crime mm -hmm. was actually they were searching for flow to mm -hmm. reset their right. nervous system, their emotional system. So a lot of like juvenile delinquency is about kids wanting to sort of like use moral transgressions and things like that mm -hmm. to get into flow. Um, right. We are sort of tuned to get into flow. Mm -hmm. And when we don't get there, we are not only are we irritable, we'll, we'll actually, you know, it can go really sideways. Absolutely, because it's the, the, the core human uh, psychological need, you know, for searching for variety and you're, you're fulfilling it through um, uh, ways that you're going to regret it later on. Um, and uh, I loved what you said earlier. I think it's important to circle back, stretch, but don't snap. In fact, that can be an affirmation for our audience today. I will stretch, but not snap, which means I will push myself outside the comfort zone. And, you know, all motivational speakers across the world, Stephen, are going to love you for that. <laughs> we talk a lot about push yourself outside the comfort zone. However, there's, there's, um, there's one myth that you've busted in one of your talks, and I'd like you to uh, you know, speak to us a little bit more about that. A lot of um, motivational speakers are guilty of promoting this misconception that human beings are usually using 10% of your brain and what are you going to do with the rest, et cetera, et cetera. I heard in one of your talks uh, that that's not true. Uh, speak to us, please, about how the brain works when we're in the state of flow and why this is a myth. So the, it's, it's called the 10% brain myth, right? The uh -huh. idea that, we, that we're using 10% of our brain at any one point. So peak performance, aka flow, it's got to be the full brain on overdrive. And mm -hmm. it's actually dates back to a comment made by William James in 1901 in the first psychology textbook ever written that was misinterpreted by Dale Carnegie mm -hmm. uh, in How to Win Friends and Influence People, and, and thus every motivational speaker ever <laughs> since has stolen it, right? right. Um, but so inflow, uh, we are not actually using more of the brain, we're using less of it. The technical mm -hmm. term is transient localized hypofrontality. So what the hell does that mean? Okay. Transient means temporary, mm -hmm. localized means in particular spots, and mm -hmm. hypo means to hypo, H-Y-P-O, it's the opposite mm -hmm. of hyper. So it means to slow down, to deactivate, to calm down. Right. And right. frontality refers mm -hmm. to the prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that's right back here. Mm -hmm. So as we move into flow, 
large swatches of the prefrontal cortex turn off. Mm. So why does this happen? One, uh, the brain the, the brain has a fixed energy budget and all, it's always trying to conserve energy. So flow is a very high energy state. So as we move into the state, the brain needs a lot of energy for focus and attention on the present. It starts to shut down mm-hmm. non-critical structures, structures that are not relevant to the task at hand. Um, right. That's why action and awareness start to merge. So why does time pass so strangely in flow? Time, it turns out, is a calculation performed all over the prefrontal cortex. Uh-huh. And as parts of the prefrontal cortex start to wink out, mm-hmm. it's a network effect, right? You knock down enough nodes on a network, the whole network goes down. Right. So when that happens in the prefrontal cortex, we lose the ability to separate past from present from future. We're right. plunged into that deep now, elongated now, the eternal present, however you want to mm-hmm. talk about it. Um, as a result, that's what happens when we sort of have, that's also what happens to our sense of self, our mm-hmm. sense of self, self-consciousness. This mm-hmm. is usually stuff that's taking place deeper in the brain, but it's mostly in the prefrontal cortex. As that shuts down, you know, the inner critic, that nagging, always on defeatist voice in our head suddenly goes quiet, right? right? And um, these things have lots of performance benefits, right? If mm-hmm. you think about creativity, one of the reasons creativity goes through the roof and flow mm-hmm. is the inner critic shuts up. So you're yep. no longer doubting all your neat mm-hmm. ideas, right? Which mm-hmm. you do all day long. Right. Really? Do you want to say that out loud? Are you sure? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, come on, that's stupid. Yeah. Don't right. share that with boss. No way. They'll right. make fun of you for a week, right? Like that goes away in flow. And as a result, risk taking goes up and creativity goes up and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Um, and contrary to, I think, uh, the the um, popular opinion out there is when, when I'm in a state of flow or I'm in a state of peak performance, I'm in the hyper mode, and you've clarified that today. It's not hyper, it's the reverse, it's the hypo. Um, it's it's actually the slowing down of those. Any practices that, that you might recommend um, um, that might help people before maybe let's say um, innovation brainstorming or important presentation or something that, that's really going to demand their complete focus, but before they go there, could there be some practices that might help? So, um, I like to think of this in more general terms and uh-huh. at the, at the flow research collective, um, when we train people, we talk about this as, as the peak performance basics and these are not really, so positive psychology has sort of spent the past 30 years figuring out mm-hmm. sort of what do we need to be able to perform at our best. And there are three things on the physical side and three things on the mental side that matter. So you ask, like, what can people do on a, on a daily basis, you know, just uh-huh. to be ready to maximize flow? Um, flow is a high energy state. We said that earlier, right? right? So you need seven, eight hours of sleep a night mm-hmm. to regularly get into flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, always push back on that mm-hmm. and what i always tell people is if you if you think you're the exception of the rule and you think you're you're the you're the you're the rarity there's tons of iq tests online <laughs> sleep seven to eight hours take an iq test and then right. sleep five hours or whatever you normally think and take an uh-huh. iq test yeah. compare them you'll never right. make that mistake again right. you get this is, like, this is for everybody who's IQ been glorified right? Um, it's, it's glorified in popular culture, right? I try. Oh, it's so, that. yeah, it's totally glorified and it's ridiculous um, mm. for peak performance. You also, you know, hydration, nutrition. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a little different, right? Mm. 
And so there's no one diet for flow at all, right. Right. right? Very individual, but we know what high quality nutrition is. We know what mm -hmm. high quality hydration is. So right. there, it's enough said. Third one is really interesting and people know this, but they don't often think about it on the physical side of the equation. So social right. support is uh -huh. foundational for uh, peak performance. And the mm. reason we need other people, we need to maintain robust, close relationships. We don't need lots of friends, but we need a couple. Mm. And the reason is this, mm -hmm. flow is a high energy state. Right. So what burns, there's, what burns our energy most during the day? Focus, one. Two, whenever we encounter a challenge, the brain wants to know how much energy you need for this challenge. Is this, mm. you know, something that I can rise to and mm -hmm. it's going to be fun and cool. It's an opportunity mm -hmm. or no, 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 this is terrifying. This is scary. I got to run away from this. It's a threat. And when the brain, and the brain runs that question uh -huh. almost like, you know, second by second, right? Like, right. do I have the resources to meet the demands in front of me is a question the brain asks all the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things it asks is, are you solo? Do you have friends? Mm -hmm. Are there people who love you? Because if you're solo, this is going to be a really big problem. Holy right. shit, we need lots of energy. This is scary, right? Uh -huh. But like, you've got friends around to help you solve it. You've got people who are, if you fail, they're going to pick you up again. Wow. And help. This, this, so there's a huge energetic component that we don't, people don't think about it, like a, a physiological component to maintaining mm -hmm. sort of robust social networks. So that's wow. on the physical side. If I may just interrupt there very quickly for a second, because um, no one's ever talked about that before. It's, it's overlooked. It's completely overlooked. It it's is so over. It's totally mm -hmm. overlooked. And it's, you know, once you say it out loud, everybody goes, oh, of course. Yeah. Right. Like, duh. Yeah. And right. in fact, it's funny. Uh, I started thinking about it more seriously because um, Philip Rosedale, who's the inventor of Second Life, mm -hmm. um, the first virtual world, um, uh, once did a study of entrepreneurship and he wanted to know what are the cultural conditions under one under which entrepreneurship thrives the most and he looked at mm -hmm. a, a ton of variables he's a super smart man one of the smartest guys in Silicon Valley in my opinion and um, his what he discovered is the most entrepreneurship goes up in lockstep with the availability of other jobs in other mm -hmm. words people want to are willing to take a bet on a company and really take a risk as right. long as they know if they lose their job they've got friends in the community and uh -huh. other entrepreneurial opportunities they've got a backup plan mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. even at the like cultural level not the individual level but at the right. cultural level of, of mm -hmm. right you see this playing out so on the on the, and on the mental side we talked about this earlier i'm sure you've talked a lot about this on your show but peak performance because of that challenge skills sweet spot, right? It's between yeah. boredom, not enough stimulation, I'm not paying any attention, anxiety, whoa, way too much, mm -hmm. right? In between. Mm -hmm. Stress but so not stop. anxiety, mm -hmm. or really specifically cortisol and norepinephrine underneath mm -hmm. the, their neurochemicals and hormones underneath anxiety, block flow, block creativity, block learning, block our good moods, fuck with our health, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you have, you have to monitor anxiety on a daily basis, right. right? You have to work with yourself. So there are three well-established great ways to lower anxiety. The uh -huh. first is a daily gratitude practice. And I'm not going to go into the neurobiology of gratitude. I could talk for 10 minutes about what gratitude <laughs> does in the brain. I won't. But I will say that we at the Flow Research Collective teamed up with Glenn Fox, who's a neuroscientist at uh, USC. And... Um, 
we, he's, and one of the world's leading experts on gratitude, and we did a big study and we found that people with regular gratitude practices are also flow prone. So mm-hmm. gratitude is both great for tuning the nervous system and it appears to work a little bit as a flow trigger. So daily gratitude practice calms you down, daily mindfulness practice, and mm-hmm. it could be, you know, I think that loving kindness meditation is the most effective of the tools available for a lot of reasons that mm-hmm. I, we probably don't have time to go into, mm-hmm. but that's my choice. But the most important one is gratitude practice takes five minutes. Mm-hmm. Loving kindness, if you want to tune the nervous system, it's 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. The third is exercise, mm-hmm. 20 to 40 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is if you're normal, do one a day. If you're a little more stressed, do two a day. If you worked for my company during COVID, especially <laughs> during the lockdown, mm. if you wanted a job, you had to do all three every day. Right. Like, we, like it was a firing offense to not, because uh-huh. we, we're a peak performance company and we got to sure. be at our best. Otherwise, right. what are we doing? Mm-hmm. So, like, I want my people, you know. So, uh, that's how I think about those sorts of things. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's stuff they can do right before the meeting and whatever, but those are sort of the basics. And if you're covering those basics uh-huh. and you're doubling down in your primary flow activity, you're going to be ready mm-hmm. as a general rule, right? Understand the flow triggers a little bit. We didn't have time mm-hmm. to talk about the flow cycle, right. but you talked about it a little <laughs> bit like you're, I'm in a struggle phase and then yeah. suddenly something happens. I drop into flow. So it's mm-hmm. a cycle. If you're interested in the gritty details, both my book, The Rise of Superman, and my book, The Art of Impossible, really cover that stuff at length. Um, or, as you pointed out earlier, there's a bunch of free talks I've given online right. yep. um, where and I talk about that cycle at length as well. We'll share, um, we'll share the, the links for all of those talks in the description section um, down below, as well as in the comments, as well as the um, links to your books as well. And I'm mindful of the time. And th- this is one of the conversations that really flowed effortlessly. Um, it's it's all uh, 53 minutes into it. And uh, I still have a lot of questions. Hopefully, we'll have you back for another episode at some stage later on. But uh, first of all, my request to all of you tuned, tuned in, I think, um, to thank the best thanks for Stephen today would be to make the best use of this information. And I think it's all coming down to the basics in the end, what the Buddhists talk about, fill your own cup first, right? Which is find your own source of joy. Uh, What is your primary flow activity? Don't distance yourself from it. Very important point that you made there about loneliness and that busted another myth right there, uh, which was the the lone warrior, you know, the superhero myth out there. People trying to do it all by themselves, not having any psychological safety there, which again is a factor that takes a lot of your strength away. A lot of simple points and um, I think, uh, but a whole lot of uh, thinking points as well for every single one of us to introspect what makes me come alive. And if I may close our conversation today uh, by quoting Howard Thurman, who said, uh, don't ask what the world needs, Um, ask what makes you come alive and go and do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. It's been such a pleasure having you here today. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you indeed once again. And to all the viewers out there, please make sure that you check the additional resources and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, bye-bye.